Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. going to finish the book of Ruth today. And again, I can't say enough how proud I am of you as a church. We're studying books of the Bible. Um, And this year alone, we've done the book of John, and now we're doing the book of Ruth. We've studied the book of Ephesians together. We're finishing another book. And this one is an Old Testament one, which means it's a tough one. And we've done it together. And I am proud. I'm thankful to be uh, part of this church doing this together with you. If you have uh, questions about the book of Ruth, um, there's some resources on our website. You can go there and get some more information about the book of Ruth. If you just really enjoyed this study, there's more resources out there for you. There's books to read. There's even um, a website that does some classes if you're into that kind of thing, where you can actually pretty much a, uh, a Bible college level class where you learn more about the book of Ruth. So if you're into that, there's resources on our, on our website. So I invite you into that. The book of Ruth, uh, we've, we started and we began and we met a number of people. We met Elimelech. Elimelech is um, a husband and a father. And he is married to a woman named Naomi. And they live in a little town of Bethlehem. And that's important because in Bethlehem, which is in the promised land of God, the land that God had given to his people, they live there. But at this point in time, there is a famine in the land of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. There's a famine in the house of bread. If there's any place on the planet you would think there would never be a famine, it would be in the house of bread. There's a famine there. Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two boys, Malon and Kilion, leave Bethlehem and they travel 60 miles or so when they travel down to an area called Moab. Now, Moab is not the best place. It's not a place you want to take your kids on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Moab is, it's, it's, it's a rough area. Moab uh, began as a, as a people uh, through some really deep and depraved sin of Abraham's nephew Lot all the way back in the book of Genesis. Moabite women, the women in Moab, have a reputation um, for being women who are promiscuous and women who draw men and entice them into all sorts of sin. But Elimelech and Naomi, they leave the promised land, leave the land that God had for them. They travel to Moab, and their boys, Malon and Kilion, meet two Moabite women, and they fall in love, and they get married. Over the course of the next 10 years, what we find out is that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. And not too long after that, the two boys die as well. And so Naomi is left without any family, All she's left with is two daughters-in-law who are Moabite women. She finds out that back in Bethlehem, God has has provided for them back in Bethlehem. And so Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, uh, are going to leave from Moab and travel back to Bethlehem to then be uh, filled with food, to get sustenance. There's two things Naomi needs. She needs food and she needs family. And she can find them both back in Bethlehem now. She tells the daughters-in-law, don't come with me, because if you come with me, you're never going to meet anyone to marry. There's nothing for your future in Bethlehem. Stay here. Stay here. Meet someone, fall in love, have babies, do the whole thing here. And Orpah says, that's a great idea. I will stay here. And Ruth says, no, 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 because where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, where you stay, I will stay. And your God will be my God. Your people will become my people. 
You've probably heard that at weddings before, and a bride would say it to the groom, or a groom would say it to the bride. I've never heard a bride say it to a mother-in-law. Never. Never heard her say, where you, how you cook, I will cook. How you decorate, I will decorate. How you meatloaf, I will meatloaf. Uh, that's never been the case, but that's, that's the promise made here. And so Ruth travels back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And they get back and the whole town is stirred because Naomi is back, but they don't recognize her. It's been 10 years and she's not who she was when she left. And she has a Moabite girl with her and they don't know what's happened, what's going on. There's no social media. Nobody's tweeting out what just happened. And so they get back and she tells the story and says, hey, no longer call me Naomi, which meant pleasant No longer call me Naomi, instead call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And if you've lived enough life, you felt that same way too, haven't you? I'm no longer who I was, now I'm bitter. I can't believe God would have done this to me. She says, the Lord, uh, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And awkwardly stands Ruth saying, not totally empty, I'm right here next to you, it's not that bad. Story continues. Um, they're looking for food and family. They, they've been provided some food-ish, but um, they're looking for family. And so um, Naomi remembers they have what's called a kinsman redeemer, somebody inside of a group of families called a clan that could marry a widow inside of their family. They could take her under his wing and provide protection and strength and financially for her. And they remember this. Ruth, being the good daughter-in-law that she is, she goes out to find food and find some way to bring income into her family, finds herself in a field of barley, and she works the barley field. And the writer of Ruth tells us it just happened to be the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz uh, is kinsman. He is related to Ruth and Naomi. She goes back home. Ruth goes back home and tells Naomi, I've, I've worked in this field, and I got a bunch of grain. I've, I found the food the Lord has for us. And Naomi says, well, who were you working for? And she says, the man that I was working for is Boaz. And Naomi loses her ever-loving mind and goes, crazy, you've met him, this is him. He's the kinsman redeemer. I can't believe this happened. This is amazing. Uh, Three months pass because she does the whole harvest from beginning to end of the barley harvest. Three months she's working for Boaz. And as she gets to the end of the barley harvest, uh, Naomi gets impatient with Boaz's um, dating abilities. And she says, hey, we're going to have to make a move here because if you're going to be provided for in the future, this is our man, but it seems like he's not willing. And so uh, Ruth goes back to the fields on the threshing floor, which is a place throughout scripture where God separates the good and the evil. They have this moment on the, on the threshing floor where Ruth says, hey, Boaz, I know you've prayed that God would provide for me. Are you willing to be the answer to God, to, my, to your prayers? Which is a great pickup line, by the way, if you want to use that, like more than welcome. And so Boaz says, I would love to, but here's the problem. There is another kinsman redeemer who's actually closer in relationship to you and he gets first dibs. And he says, I'm going to take care of it first thing in the morning. Ruth chapter four begins and Boaz goes to the city gate where all legal things happen, all big things happen in the city. He goes to the city gate and the writer tells us, as would happen, as luck would have it, the kinsman redeemer walks by. And Boaz uh, says, hey, buddy, hey, friend, hey, brother, Uh, come sit down. Doesn't use his name, which is interesting because the writer of Ruth tells us everybody's name. I mean, She's, she's like a seventh grade girl who tells us details. We don't need to know. I don't care. I don't, I don't care what perfume he, or Axe body spray he had. I don't care. I really don't care. But this happens. 
And he proposes to the man, says, hey, here's the deal. Um, the land of Elimelech, Naomi has it now. She's looking to sell it. Do you want to buy it? And the man says, that sounds great. I would love to. And then Boaz, the salesman that he is, says, oh, but here's the deal. If you buy that, you also get the Moabite woman, Ruth. You sure you want to do this? And the man says, that's a good point. I don't want to do this. Um, Boaz buys the field, takes Ruth to be his wife. And that's kind of where we've left off in Ruth chapter four. We've used this quote throughout this series. A.W. Tozer, a theologian, says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So whenever you hear God, whenever you hear the name of God, whenever you think about God, whenever you think about church, whenever you think about uh, Sunday school or whatever it is, what comes into your mind determines how you live your life. Now, whether you're a Christian, a believer in Jesus or not, I believe this remains to be true. If you think he's the creator or you don't, if you think he is in power or he isn't, if you think he's good or he's not, that determines how we live our lives. What we've seen through the book of Ruth is something called God's providence. It's how God provides. We've defined God's providence as his continued care and governance over all of his creation. God didn't just create the world and set it in motion and then step back from it. But God is intimately involved in every detail of our lives. So when the writer of Ruth says, it just so happened to be Boaz's field, or it just so happened that this kinsman redeemer walked by, what we believe is it didn't just so happen, God made it happen. This is God's continued guidance and care over all of his creation. And what that means is for you and for me, in seasons of famine and in seasons of feast, God is still good and he is still in charge and he is still caring for us. It's a truth that we must know and remember. He is great and powerful and he is good. And we said that God planned his providence. He planned it in the past to be ready in the present that it might bless the future. Keep this idea in mind this morning. He planned it years ago. The reason why Ruth had something to harvest from the field of Boaz is because all the way back in the book of Leviticus, God put a law in place that people who own barley fields should leave the edges of their field free so that people who were sojourners, people who were travelers or needy could come and take the food that they needed. God put that in place many, many years before Ruth was ever on the planet for this reason, ready in the present that it might bless the future. Now, let's get into it. Ruth chapter four, and we're gonna be starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Throughout the book, we know Ruth as a Moabite, and now she is the wife of Boaz. And he went into her. Parents, I'll let you handle that one. And the Lord uh, gave her conception. See this? The Lord gave her conception. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. Um, the Lord doesn't feature as a main active character in this story. We see him two times act. First is back in chapter one, where the writer tells us that the Lord gave barley, gave food, gave an increase to the town of Bethlehem. And here, the Lord gave conception to Ruth. Ruth and Naomi needed two things at the beginning of the story. They needed food and they needed family, and God provided both of them. He's the active character in providing both of them. And she bore a son. The whole reason that Ruth needed to get married and have a baby was to continue the line of Elimelech. 
It's important in those days that the, that the line of the husband, the line of the father, his family line, his name was carried out through generations because <clears throat> that's where the value was. That's where uh, you found uh, importance and significance was through your family line. If she doesn't get married, this doesn't happen. And she does, and she gives birth to a son. Verse 14, and the women in the, at the gate said to Naomi, who is now a grandmother for the first time, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. He has not left you empty. And may his name be renowned. May it be lifted high and be known, be famous in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. And he has given birth to him. The women now are pointing to the baby as the restorer and redeemer. Verse, uh, the next verse, 16. Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Now, this is a great time, right, for the screen to go black. It kind of fades, and you just see Naomi holding this baby, and the credits roll, and it's amazing what's just happened. You see, the women are amazed at what just happened. They can't believe what's just happened. This is a, it's an amazing end to the story. This is a Disney ending, if there ever was one. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Hold on, I thought the son was born to Ruth. Grandmas, you understand this, don't you? No, that's my, that's my baby, that's mine, that is mine. The end of the story is not a baby sitting on Ruth's lap. The end of the story is a baby sitting in Naomi's lap because she went away full and the Lord brought her back empty. She's no longer empty. She has food and she has family. But then look at this. They named him Obed, which means servant. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Amazing end of the story, she has a baby. His name is Obed. Naomi is holding this baby and the credits roll. But then we hear a voice from the narrator say, oh, by the way, he was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Well, who's David? David is King David. The greatest living king the Israelites ever had. He conquered nations. He led them well. Sure, he had his, his deficiencies. He had his sin. He had his, his downfalls. But he rose again. And he, he, he's the man. When Israelites speak about kings, when Jews speak about people they have kind of on their own Mount Rushmore, King David is on there. With Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, David is, is there. So what we learn from the writer of Ruth, who is removed from this history and then tells us a little bit back, a little bit of the story from his or her vantage point, he is the father of David. And then look what happens. Now these are the generations of Perez. Remember Perez? The women at the gate said, may, may your family be blessed like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is the generation's of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. And Nashon fathered uh, Salmon, or Salmon, depending on where you're from. Salmon, 
Salmon uh, fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, if you're paying attention, that's ten generations. How long were they in Moab? Ten years. The writer is keying us in on something. There's been redemption happening the whole time. God's been in charge the whole time. Jewish law was that any foreign woman um, had to be in a Jewish household for three months before she could get married. How long was she in the house of Naomi? How long was Ruth in the house of Naomi? The full season of the barley harvest, which would have been three months. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says um, that no one from any other nation may come into the house of God until 10 generations have passed. This is rich, what's happening here. And the readers of this, the hearers of this account would be like, oh, this, I can't believe this is what happened. Like he, the story began with desperation and despair and now they have a baby and that's amazing there, but then the scope is even bigger because this baby would then lead us to King David and King David's the one that, that really was the one who put Israel on the map and King David is the one that, that we think uh, God sent. He is the one of God. He's the one after God's own heart. We love King David. So let me just show you a couple of things. Here's this first genealogy uh, you're going to see here as we pull it up. We talked about this before. Perez comes from a long line. Father of Hezron, father of Ram, father of Abinadab, father of Nashon, father of Salmon, Salmon, father of Boaz, who's the father of Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. And it's amazing because, again, we said it last week, we have to see the whole scope of the scripture to understand the depth of it. So the hearers of this story would have been amazed at what just happened. They would have been amazed at, how, at what God has just done. We have a better vantage point. We're on this side of the cross. We have a different vantage point. Would you turn to Matthew chapter one? We've seen 10 generations. We've seen what's happened here. But this 10 generation genealogy fits into something bigger than even the people hearing this would have ever imagined. I'm gonna read Matthew chapter one. On the screen is gonna come a genealogy and you can just see some of the names and see where this one fits in. This is the book, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, <clears throat> excuse me, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab is a woman of the night who keeps Israelites safe when they try to conquer and come into the promised land. And they tell her, if you keep us safe, the Lord will set you free. Just put a scarlet thread out of your window. And she does. And she is rescued, which is amazing. But why is she rescued? Because she has a bigger part to play in the story. Because Rahab and the father of Boaz have a baby whose name is Boaz. 
Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba, the woman with whom David committed adultery. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, uh, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So now they've been sent to exile, and uh, now the, the genealogy and generations continue. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Jealtiel, and Jealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Ruth and Boaz are given a baby by the name of Obed. And Obed leads to David. And David leads to Jesus. Which means what we've studied for the last six weeks is important to the gospel. Because Jesus comes from this family line. We have a scope to see. Everything Naomi and Elimelech went through with the death of their sons and then the death of Elimelech and then Moabite women and then famine and all the things that have happened. They've all led to this. Thousands and thousands of years later, they've led to the birth of the Savior of the world. I don't know what you're facing today, but I'll tell you this. God's got a bigger plan than you can ever imagine inside of it. And sure, in a few years, you'll be able to say, well, yeah, yeah, because this good thing happened because we got this. Just like the people say, yeah, well, we got King David. Sure. It's better than that. It's better than you having a better marriage because of what you have went through or because now you've got a different relationship with your kids than what you had before. It's bigger than that. It's, it points to Jesus. God's providence proves his character, and he points to our Savior. So quick grumbling. And worship. The despair that you're in or have been in, it's proving the character of God if you would just let it. And generations from now, you're going to see the Savior because of what you're going through now. God's providence is his continued care and governance over all of his creation. If he sees it, he will see to it. He's in the middle. He's in it now. And not just for your good, but for his glory, that the lives of the multitudes may be saved. I am a product of the providence of God for generations. And so are you. And generations from now, people will tell your story because your story started a legacy of the family that led to the salvation of a soul. And that soul might be a missionary, might be a pastor, 
might be a teacher or a lawyer, might be a president or a king. You don't know what you don't know. But this I know, God is faithful and he is true and he is great. So the response to our suffering from the book of Ruth is worship. That's the response. The response is worship. It isn't pity and it isn't shame and it isn't guilt. It isn't questioning and trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The response to the providence of God is trust that leads to worship. God is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do. And it may not be the way you want him to do it, but his ways are higher than ours and they're better. The providence of God proves his character and it points to our savior. As Brandon comes up and begins to play, I think we just need to ponder some of these things. We've seen the scope of the story of Ruth, but we haven't just seen the scope of the story of Ruth. We've seen the hand of God in the story of Ruth. And it doesn't just happen for Ruth because the character of God is unchanging. And what God did for Ruth and in Ruth, God continues to do for you and in you and for me and in me. I don't know exactly how the story ends for you or for me, but I know this. I know it points to Jesus. I know it reveals the Savior to the world. That's what I know. And you'll see some good in a generation but in 40 generations, you're gonna see the Savior. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know where the Lord has you today. But I know enough of you and I know enough of your stories to know this. You aren't on the other side yet. And it's hard to see any good coming from where you are today. The beautiful thing about God's providence is that you don't have to see it, he does. And you can trust that if he sees it, he will see to it.